Good to see you, friends. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T dot com. Or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. And the website and on this program, we talk about the future, and we take a slightly different spin on the future than you're likely to get in a lot of other places. We try to give you the straight scoop about what's happening in the world and what we think is going to be happening in the world. And the straight scoop is that our world is not, as many will tell you, going to hell in a handbasket or by any other means, but uh, in, in, in fact, getting better all the time. And not only is the world getting better, but uh, we believe that we stand on the brink of an incredibly bright future. If we play our cards right, a future that most of us haven't even imagined, much less dared to hope for. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me, as always, in the virtual studio is my co-blogger, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Phil. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm just very excited about the program that we've got going on tonight. This is going to be a fun one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've... How about you? Oh, yeah. I'm uh, doing great, doing great. I've, before we get to our guest tonight, I, I guess I... Uh, we've we've been talking movies seems like every week. It's the it's the summer season, I guess, right? So. Yeah, a lot of lot of movies coming out. And I saw you published you you posted a uh, uh, some Hulk not quite spoilers but preview type uh, information on. Well, that's one I'm looking forward to. I hadn't seen yet, but uh, someone had. But actually, the one I took the kids to and had a great time. Uh, if you got kids, take you know load them up and take them to Kung Fu Panda. It's hilarious. Oh really? Okay. It was very fun. Uh, Jack Black uh, was as funny as he always is, and uh, um, yeah, there was a great supporting cast. Uh, of course, it's animated, but I mean, it was it was a great fun movie, and uh, and the kids had a great time. Ah, oh, sounds sounds like fun. I, I've seen the previews for that. It looks funny. I'm I'm not sure if I have an excuse to go see that because uh, my daughter's 19. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. If you if you just show it without a kid in tow, you might feel a little bit a little out of place. Uh, uh, but yeah, but uh, I think I think <laughs> she's going to take for Father's Day going to take me to see the Incredible Hulk next week. So I'm there very excited about that. We've also got on the line Michael Darling. How are you, Michael? Good evening. I'm good. Good. Seen any? Exciting movies. How's the baseball thing going? We've been meaning to check in with you on that. Baseball is just now uh, really in transition mode. It's uh, we're ending, and uh, that's why I'm a little spacey this afternoon. We had a game yesterday and a game today, and I celebrated this afternoon with uh, a beer in the middle of the afternoon, which I never do anymore. So I'm, you know, feels like it's the middle of the night for me. <laughs> now none of the players had any beer. I, I think it's important to make sure that. Uh... It's correct, uh, and, and they weren't around when this happened. I, I had left the field, I had packed away all the equipment, and uh, and, and I said, I think I'm going to have a beer instead of cutting the lawn. <laughs> uh, well, that's always a good choice. I think you, I think you, I think you chose wisely there. So, how are they doing uh, generally? I, they they were off to kind of a rough start. How are they wrapping up their season? Let's say it this way: uh, we started off with our three priorities for the season. Nobody gets hurt. Everybody has fun. Everybody gets better at every practice and every game, and we definitely nailed the first two. And we're pretty close on the third. Okay, that's well, good you. enough. That's good enough. Yeah. You know, as, as long as you've got your criteria for success well established and you're working towards those goals. Plus, uh, these kids are how old again? Six, seven years old? Eight. Eight and eight seven. Years old. Eight. Yeah. Seven and eight. And, uh, yeah. For most of these kids, it's their first exposure to organized baseball, and so it was uh, it was a steep learning curve. Right. Well, and pl- plenty of time to uh, to stress out over uh, ERAs and batting averages and uh, strikeouts and all those kinds of things. I would guess. We'll do that later. 
in later years. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. yep. Okay, well, we're going to uh, send you off into the chat room um, as we bring out our guest, and uh, Michael will be checking in with us a little bit later with uh, commentary and questions for our guest, and uh, let's bring him out now. Tonight on the program, we're very pleased to welcome Rand Simberg, who uh, self-describes as a recovering aerospace engineer and a consultant in space commercialization, space tourism, and Internet security. He offers, uh, again, self-described, occasionally biting commentary about infinity and beyond at his weblog, Transterrestrial Musings. You also see him uh, on Pajamas Media from time to time, and it seems like uh, he shows up in other venues as well. I would only correct him on the occasionally. I think it is uh, frequently, if not consistently, biting commentary. But, Rand, we're very delighted to have you. Welcome to Fast Forward Radio. Well, thanks. Uh, Glad to be here. So uh, I thought we've got so many different topics that we'd like to get into this evening because there's just a lot of uh, space stuff that we kind of talk around the edges um, on the show, and we and we have not had a uh, – Stephen, is this correct? We've not had a dedicated space show since we've been doing it weekly. Is that is that, is that right? I think that's right. Uh, we Man. Before we went weekly, we had uh, one of our monthly shows uh, that was like uh, probably a couple of years ago. Phil, we, yeah. we 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 spend on space, but yeah, we have not we've not had an opportunity to well to, to have somebody who's worked in, uh, uh, in in aerospace to be on the show with us to to visit about it. This this gives us the opportunity to really absolutely ask these questions. You know, we're way behind. We got a lot of catching up to do. So, Rand, I'm going to start right off with uh, I'm having some trouble with my Direct TV. Okay, I I turned it on uh, this afternoon, and I wasn't getting any of the uh, actual program information. And my wife was very upset, and I said, "Don't worry, I'm talking to a space guy a little bit later. This is a satellite thing, I'm sure." So. Well, you know, this is funny because I had a problem with my Directv this morning. Uh, I, it was it was working great last night. We watched uh, Contact, and then we watched Coal Miner's Daughter. We went to right. bed. We woke up in the morning, and there was no signal. No oh, sunspots or something. No, it was. Uh, I don't know what it was, but I. I went out, I, I looked at the dish, this looked fine, it looked like it was pointing kind of generally the right direction, it's hard to imagine, we had no wind, we had no nothing, no rain, no no weather. Uh, I, I, I got up my little handy dandy signal meter, I stuck it in the in the flow and it worked fine, and and uh, you know, my better half came out and said, hey, you just fixed it, just because I wow. stuck this other thing in the middle of it. And then I put them back together, so I just figured it was just like a bad connection or something. I, you know, I took it apart, put it back together, it worked. So anyway, I don't know what you were going to ask me. Oh, no, no, that was uh, that, that was my that was my fun intro. But see, what how cool that we get an actual direct TV story from you where you fixed your uh, satellite dish. I, no, I was going to suggest that maybe you had some kind of uplink and you just repointed the satellite slightly uh, so that no, no, that's, uh, <laughs> your service would be through. But that's tough. Yeah, that, well, that's a. That, that requires some hacking, I would think, probably to get um, a little bit. Hacking is uh, is a minor word for what that would. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what I was going to say was, since uh, since the phrase I used uh, to introduce you, their space guy, is a little broad. Why don't you take us through kind of uh, some of the highlights of the the Rand Simberg story from uh, uh, from from your days as a uh, uh, aerospace engineer to the to the stuff you're doing now? Uh, okay. Well. Uh, I grew up in space, uh, you know, watched watched uh, the space program in the 60s, watched people walk on the moon, got all excited about space, got very depressed about space after Apollo died, uh, went to college, you know, was doing other stuff, uh, 
heard about Jerry O'Neill and space colonies and said, hey, you know, this makes sense. There, there actually is a, a way forward. It could actually, you know, pay for itself. Uh, got back into space, graduated with a degree, uh, went into the aerospace industry, realized very quickly that the aerospace industry was not getting us into space, but did it for a while because uh, you know, it was decent money, not great money, but a, a decent living. Um, tried to figure, figure out that the way to get into space was private stuff. So after you know a little over you know decade and a half of uh, being a space professional, aerospace project manager, that kind of stuff, uh, quit and tried to be an entrepreneur. Lost a lot of money at it, but still believes in it and uh still working at it. Okay, so that's uh that's the that's the longer version and maybe as a kind of a sideline to that, how did you get interested in uh blogging about space and how did you get started doing that? I never got interested in blogging about space. Oh. I got interested in blogging. <laughs> Just blogging generally in space. I, I got interested in blogging because, you know, I I was uh just not long before 9/11, like um, like almost about you know, really late August 2001, uh, a mutual friend of ours said, "Hey, look what Glenn Reynolds is doing," because I'd known Glenn back from the 80s and the 90s when we were doing space stuff. Because he was, people don't realize this, but he was the head of the executive committee for the National Space Society. Right. And uh, and so I'd known Glenn for a long time, and and so when he started. He started Instapundit, you know, people, other people who knew Glenn. And, and, in fact, I'd even been on a mailing list with him and other people, you know. So we were we were kind of exchanging jibes, you know, like in the late 90s and stuff online. So but so when Glenn started doing this, I said, I, I didn't really say this. I didn't say that if Glenn can do it, anybody can, because obviously, <laughs> <laughs> obviously Glenn has some uh, very unique traits that make him a great, great, great blogger. But I did say, you know, if Glenn can do this, I can, I can, I can do this. I can't get his readership, but you know, here's a way to uh, give the uh, the world my opinion, to which I think everybody is entitled. And right, absolutely. Yeah, and that's what blogging is all about, right? So I started, exactly. you know, I looked up the software, I started up a blog in October. It wasn't about space. It was just, hey, here's a way for me to. You know, bypass the gatekeepers and uh, you know, not have all these letters to the editor rejected because that's really what blogs are, right? It's it's a, it's a letter to the editor. Except, that's right. Except you don't have to hope that the editor will read it and decide to run it and not you know edit the hell out of it. Um, so I start up this blog, but obviously because of my interests, I also blogged about space. So I became known at least partially as a space blogger. The other part is that I'm this I'm a right wing nut. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever that's worth. Uh, you know, I don't accept that obviously, but that's that's the way a lot of people who who read me for the space stuff characterize me because they don't agree with my politics, uh, which are not right wing in my opinion. But you know, that's that's an opinion. It's all obviously uh, very subjective. Well, but, you know, but anyway, the point is, I'm not a, uh, you know, I am not a space blogger. If you read my blog, uh, there's a lot of space stuff there, but there's a, probably even more non-space stuff there. That's 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 true, and uh, you know, I read uh, I read your blog across the board, but I guess uh, I think I, I guess it's the graphic at the top that makes me think of it as a space blog. 
Well, and, and, well, but the other funny the thing name. Is, the, is the name. The name, see, it's transterrestrial. It's not extraterrestrial. <laughs> transterrestrial musings. There you go. Acro- across the planet, not away from the planet, not off the planet. It's you know, it's it's just. Uh, I'm thinking about everything. <laughs> there you go. So what, what would you say is the breakdown? How much of uh, how much of what you do is on space, and how much is on politics or other subjects? Oh, gee, I don't know. I, it, it kind of depends, you know. If if something space is going on, you know, obviously when when Columbia had its event, yeah, I was I was blogging about space pretty much, you know, twenty four seven, right. Um, but but other than that, no. My, basically, my blog is about whatever is going across my mind at the moment, and there's a lot of important issues going on in the world. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to answer that question. I haven't, you know, tried to do a statistical analysis on my posts. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. We haven't of, done that either as a speculist. Although we 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 have the editorial policy that we don't uh, uh, we we don't allow ourselves to get into politics or religion uh, on on the speculist. So we kind of. Um, I, I have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, I blog. I blog on what the whole the whole point of my blog is. You know, uh, all my life I've never had a diary. Right. But it actually has acted, uh, you know, as a as a diary for the last few years, and I, I guess maybe the, uh, it never occurred to me before until this very night. So this is like a scoop, but uh, I never had a diary because I figured, well, I'll write this thing in this diary, and who, who's going to care? But I've got this blog now. As long as I keep the server up or or whatever, or Google remembers, you know, there, there's actually a record. So I'm more motivated to kind of write stuff. But on the other hand. It is not a really personal blog, you know. I don't say what I had for breakfast this morning. I don't say, you know, the cat threw up, you know. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of cat blogging on uh, transterrestrial. Yeah. Well, I I do cat blog occasionally, but it's only when the cat does something significant. And, <laughs> yeah, not, you know, the, not the like cat, a daily. The cat throws up a couple times a week. It's not like I'm going to blog that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, I would uh, the last thing I would do is 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 talk about what we do at the Speculist by way of you know, telling other people what I think they ought to do on their blogs. But but I have found that that keeps me from getting sucked into it, right? Yeah, if, if we started doing politics, it's like it turns into a political blog, or if, if we allowed religious discussions, I fear it would turn into a religious blog. And, and this way we get to stay on the on the subjects that we've chosen. Plus, there's, you know, there's lots of other venues where that stuff yeah, gets and, done. And I probably have got sucked into that more than I should because of all the, all the people that call me, you know, I had a you know somebody in comments over at Clark Lindsay's Space Transport News site, you know, said, "Gee, I really like all the stuff that Simmer did, you know, trying to develop uh, zero G back in the '90s, which half of which he got wrong, um, but but he's a right wing nut job." <laughs> you know, so oh, there you go. So even your space comments don't matter because yeah, it's right, because I'm a right wing oh. nut job. Because <laughs> well, because I don't just comment about space; I comment about everything I think. And right. you know, then it, then it gets filtered through the prism of you know whatever morons read it, and uh, you know, so I'm a right wing nut job, even though I'm not right wing and I'm not, as far as I know, a nut job. Well, there you go. And uh, I, I think uh, I, to me, to me, that's kind of the downside. Actually, is what happens in the comments. I was just writing over at uh, uh, Michael Anisimov's blog the other day because uh, because he had written a uh, blog post that touched tangentially on religion and you know it turned into this thing and there were like 70 comments in the 
in, in, in the, uh, the the comment section of the of the blog. And 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 I'm reading through these, and you know, it just starts going in these very predictable directions with you know people eventually calling each other Stalinists or Nazis or you know whatever fascists. People, fascists. That's yeah, fascists. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, not right there's anything wrong with ever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So because because I've read Jonah's book, you know, it's there's not there's anything wrong with fascism. But um, but but anyway, throwing the names around, and I and I I said to him, I said, uh, Michael, you know, I I always bemoan the fact. I'm always telling Stephen this that it seems like we never get the big long comment threads, and it drives me crazy until I start reading these big long comment threads, and then it, I really don't mind. Say, Gee, I'm glad I don't get these really long comment threads. Right. Yeah, because they just they just seem to go in. Uh, they just seem to go in this particular direction. Well, well but the other, the other point about religion is that um, I, I can't avoid talking about religion because, well, I'm, I'm, by conventional terms, I'm irreligious, but on the other hand, I've got a whole separate website that has a, a, a ceremony to celebrate you know, July 20th, as, as a, like a, and it's set up like a Seder. So I'm not a non-religious person. It's just I've got a bizarre religion. Okay. Let's, let's get to that in just a moment. I just want to say you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Rand Semberg about space and about uh, blogging. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can join us in our chat room or you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. Now, the religion is uh, around the – I mean, the, the high holy day is July 20th. Is that correct? Currently, I mean, there may, there may, you know, if if it evolves and we actually develop it more, there may be some other higher day. But that that seems to be a pretty significant day. I mean, you know, because the whole, as as the ceremony says, at uh, evolotera dot com, e v o l e t e r r a uh, dot com. This was, and and you know, we have a quote there from Arthur Clarke. This was probably the most significant event since you know life. The first life crawled onto the land from the sea because it was life moving out. And because the basic, basically, if I have a religion, it is that you know life persists, life will fill the universe, and life will fill not just fill the universe with mindless life, but life will fill the universe with conscious life, and life will help the universe to come to know itself. And that's one of the things that was great about Arthur Clarke. I mean, I think he believed that too. I mean, he was well. It's a great, uh, it's a, it's that. a great reminder, and I link to uh, I link to your uh, Evolutera site every every July twentieth. Yeah, because it's coming up. It just occurred. It hadn't occurred to me, but it got, it's you know time flies. It's you haven't done any of your shopping probably weeks. yet. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Our uh, cards. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, forty shopping days till July twentieth. You know what I like about a, a religion started by an engineer, though I have to say. As I say, so your high holy day is X, and he goes, well, so far. <laughs> well, well, because I, I think that's great, you know, because we're you don't still get trying to the, the other. The, it's still evolving. I mean, yeah, because it's, it's, it's an evolution. And, this is a religion that believes. In fact, I I, I I got into a kind of little dispute with somebody who said, "Ah, oh, gee, I really love this ceremony. I'm going to change these few words in it that says, you know, God God made this happen." And I said, "No, mm-hmm. no, I'm I'm not going to grant you." Copyright. That's going to be a copyright violation. If you want to re reprint our ceremony, that say no, you know, this was about God. No, I, I'm not denying God, but I'm saying that uh, you know the the focus of this ceremony is about science. It's about 
you know, what, what humankind has achieved through reason and science. And when you, when you refuse to say that these things evolved, when you want to change it, you love the ceremony, you say, oh, that's great, I like, I like about going to the moon and all that stuff, but I don't accept that life evolved. Uh, you've kind of missed the point of the whole ceremony. So ultimately, is it fair to say that you've got a doctrine and you're not uh, going to tolerate uh, deviation from the doctrine? No, we will not. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not going to chop their heads off, but I am. Uh, yes, we 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 are not going to allow Absolutely. our copyright to be violated, and had, and take the ceremony and uh, and sully it for a different purpose. Now, there's another holiday. I don't know if it's on the uh, official calendar of the uh, uh, Evola Terra uh, uh, Holy Days, but uh, one that we celebrated uh, back in April, Yuri's Night, which is the uh, uh, kind of a similar uh, uh, yeah. recognition of a, of a big deal, right? Kind, first, yeah, kind of. Not Yeah, first, uh, first man in space. And we got to talking. Uh, we, we, the show we did... The night after that anniversary, we got to talking about how um, that event is tied into a number of other events that are of significance in in terms of um, in, in terms of our kind of rollout into space. And when Phoenix landed, um, what was that? Two weeks ago, that was actually on the anniversary of President Kennedy making his uh, landmark presentation to a joint session of Congress, talking right. about. Uh, I, I, I had a, a pajamas media piece about that, in fact. Yeah, and and that, you know, the, as as Stephen pointed out, as we were talking about that, those those two events were not unconnected, right? There's a there, there's a major uh, uh, response on our part to what the Russians were doing, and the fact that uh, that that he made that announcement. What I'd like to do is talk a little bit about uh, plans to go to the moon then. Versus versus plans to go to the moon now and and see what uh, see what we make of the uh, where we were then and, and and where we are now and maybe Stephen just by way of setting that up let's let's remember what uh, what we were hearing back back at that time. We choose to go to the moon. 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 We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. We choose to go to the moon. Okay, we got him in a little problem. Wow. Wow. We'll yeah, I can't even get it. He was a talented man. Of our energy will serve to organize on that challenge. Wow. Wow. Sorry about that. Well, let me say that doing Kennedys. Doing, doing, doing things because they are hard is one of the stupidest reasons to do something. Okay. Well, I mean, it was. Po- I, 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 I guess you could argue that we did it because it was possible. We did it. No, we did it because it was hard. Because we did it because we were trying to beat the Soviets. We were in a Cold War. Yeah. It, but it was. It did not advance us in space. And in fact, in, set, in many ways, it set us back for half a century because we chose a, a goal for a stupid reason and and because we chose it for a stupid reason we uh we we chose a stupid way to do it in terms of 
actually advancing us in space and making us a space-faring civilization and, and making things happen. And we also established a mindset. And uh, that's what we have to have somehow get past. And, and NASA has not done it because now so, they're just doing Apollo on steroids. When, when you say it was a... Uh uh, a goal chosen for a stupid reason. Was it was it a bad goal? Was yeah. it a bad thing to try to go to the moon at that time? Or it was a great thing. It was a great thing from the standpoint of beating, uh, of winning the Cold War. It was a horrible, horrible thing from the standpoint of getting us into space. You do not. I mean, if if you think that the highest, you know, uh, how hard something is, is a value. Okay, let's let's dig a hole at China. That's pretty tough. Let's let's set that as a national goal, right? Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> so that it's a stupid, stupid reason to do something, except in the context of it was a way to demonstrate our technological superiority. Okay, but uh, that uh, demonstrating your, your technological superiority is not the most productive way to open up the space frontier. Well, Rand, I, 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 I'm, I'm following you to the, uh, you know, I, I agree that the reason for Apollo was to demonstrate our technological superiority. But how did that set us back instead of push us forward? It set us back because we did it in a way, uh, we, we, poured, we poured 4% of the federal budget into that project because it mm. was important. It wasn't important because space was important. It wasn't important because going to the moon was important. It was important because we had we had been shocked by the Russians and Sputnik, and we had to demonstrate that we were better than they were at space, because space at that time was a very scary thing. Uh, you know, Johnson said we are not going to go to bed by the light of a communist moon. Moon, right. I should say. Yeah, uh, there's. I'm sure there's some English dialect where moon is pronounced immune, but the, no, we follow you. We know what you mean. The, but uh, Apollo was not about getting us into space. Apollo was about beating the commies, and because I, but because of that, we've identified the only way we've identified that as the way to do space, and that has been exemplified by the current you know attitude of NASA, which is, okay, we're not just going to do Apollo, we're going to do Apollo on steroids. Right, so so then and now, so compare, um, the, the Apollo program as originally conceived and executed versus the program that's planned now for going to the moon, what what would you say are the um, are the big similarities and what are the big differences? It sounds like philosophically very similar. Well, technically very similar. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest, big problem is back then, Getting to the moon was important. Now it's not, but NASA's acting as though it is, and they're going to get the budget for it to do it the way they did it before. Not going to happen. Okay, because it, it, it ultimately it'll be it, it'll it'll be abandoned. Is that what you're? Yes, because for this exactly the same reasons as Apollo was abandoned. Because once they'd achieved the goal, everybody said, "Okay, been there, done that." Costs a lot of money. Not going to do it anymore. Well, the way NASA is doing it now costs a lot of money, and money that we don't have. 
So should we just let nature take its course? In other words, uh, get to the moon or or get into space uh, just uh, because there we have, uh, I don't know, maybe commercial reasons to go there? What, well, what, what should take us back to the moon? What's the what's the proper motivation? Uh, hmm, good question. The proper motivation is uh, we should go back to the moon because there are resources there that we can learn to use how to learn in space. But that backs you up one step that says why do we even want to be in space? And that's right. something that we really haven't had a, a useful national discussion on since nineteen. Well. 50, you know, late 50s, early 60s. We, and what we, were we saying we wanted to be in space for at that time? Space well, at that time, the, at that time, it was, uh, well, at that time there was a bunch of stuff because we were kind of, you know, technically and politically naive that said we want to be in space because, A, uh, the ability to be in space just demonstrates, you know, technical superiority and there was this big ideological war going on between uh, I'm not going to say capitalism, socialism. It's, it was really a war between democracy and totalitarianism. Okay. Because if we'd had a capitalism, capitalistic space program, it would have looked nothing like what happened with Apollo. Right. Right. Uh, we, you know, the, it was a, you know, we set it up. It was the our top-down program for sure. Yeah, it was our socialist state space enterprise against their socialist state space enterprise. But ours was capital. Ours was de- democratic. And and part of the reason for that was we were trying to keep Europe on board, because they were they, you know Europe was not into capitalism then or right. now, right? The first order. Yeah. So so that was the reason. Um, but that was really what drove the space program in the 1960s. Uh, you know, it was uh, and and I actually had a post of uh, you know, two or three weeks ago that said you know. I've long said NASA is kind of a socialist space program, but I was wrong. It's a fascist space program. Not that there's anything okay. wrong with that. Hold but, that thought. This but is it's fascist, fascist radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Rand Simberg. If you'd like to join us, you can call us at 347-215-8972 or join us in the chat room. Okay, so NASA is a fascist space program? Is that, yes. Is that what I understood you to say? Yes, okay. that's what I said. Because Excellent. it's, and if you read, you know, Goldberg's book, you know, on the on the real the the lost history of of uh, the progressive movement, really, that's what it is. You know, in the 20th century, you can recognize a lot all the elements of fascism in the way we set up NASA. Because you know we were in a war, and that's uh, that's a good way to win a war is to set up this this situation where you have. You know, a unity of purpose in the, in the country, and everybody's behind it, and and we have our representatives, and uh, I mean, the only thing that's missing that I haven't found yet, but I'm pretty sure I will, which I have seen in the Obama campaign, by the way, you know, are the kind of the, the Soviet realist, <laughs> surrealist, uh, you know, posters of you know change and hope and and that kind of thing. Uh, Rand, I wanted to ask you. I mean, as far as uh, space goes, uh, are you are you more excited now to see uh, uh, you know uh, commercial ventures like Spaceship One uh, versus uh, you know uh, NASA continuing to dominate uh, space? I mean, well, obviously yes. I mean, I, I I am more hopeful now than I've ever been about our future in space, and that includes the time when I was. 
you know, this naive kid back in the late 70s when, you know, we were building a space shuttle and we thought that was going to open up space. Yeah. And that and we've just been piddling around in Earth orbit, low, low Earth orbit, ever since, basically. Uh, um, but, well, but, 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 and the reason for that is that, you know, we had the space shuttle, the National Space Transportation System, that was the official name of it, the yeah. National Space Transportation System. And you know, no, with no it, competition, no, yeah, yeah, and we and we continued this this tradition of these the, all our hero astronauts. You know, the, every time we every year they would come up with a new astronaut selection process, and you have this class, and they would all be you know here. And uh, obviously, they're not because there's you know a lot more of them, and in fact, there's more of them than are ever going to fly, given the current plans. Um, so it's not like it was back in the 60s when they had, you know, the Mercury 7 and Life magazine did a, you know, a hagiography on them and, you know, airbrushed out all the, the bad parts, which was part of the fascism. And, you know, that's, that's one of the cases you would make for it. Uh, yeah, but, well, but it, it's just uh, with NASA is still living in the 1960s. Uh, and it can't well, I wonder if if um, the I'm just gonna I got a devil's advocate this one just a, just a smidge here, okay? Because uh, once once you once you make the uh, the life coverage of uh, um, uh, of, of the Mercury astronauts uh, fascist propaganda, I'm like, wow, man, come on, you're you're, you're bringing me down here with your. Uh, uh, with, with your critique, I, I, I mean, I understand the, uh, I, I understand the, 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 the broad, it, you know, that that program didn't get us uh, to to where we wanted to be. But I well, think that, but that's it, that's it, because you think that fascist is a bad word. That's why yeah, every time, okay, that's why right. every time I say that X is fascist, I always, uh, you know, uh, prepend it with. Not oh, that not that there's, there's anything, anything wrong, wrong with that. that. Oh, okay, all right. That's well, the I whole see. point of Jonah's book. It's that you know, Rose uh, Wilson, you know, Wilson was a fascist. Franklin Roosevelt was a fascist. If you if, if you objectively look at what what the the program was, these people, you know, it, it's fascism. You know, Nazis. That's the whole point. Is that Hitler gave fascism a bad name? <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I say that you know jokingly, but I'm serious. That you know, he uh, Hitler was a leftist. Mussolini right. was a leftist, but they were denounced so, by the left because they turned against you know they they turned against Joe Stalin, who they loved. So if if we're saying that the. Uh, uh, Here's 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 my sticking point, okay? I, I, and and now I can't tell if you're if you're critiquing it or not when you use the word fascist because you're saying not that that's a bad thing, but but I have to say that uh, even if even if you want to label that fascism, I would still say that there was something heroic about about those guys. And well, of course, I, I would, but there was something heroic about about uh, Yuri Gagarin too. Does that make communism good? No, it does not. It does not. Um, but but I think but I do view Gagarin as a as a hero, and in fact we talked about him in exactly those terms um, on this program a few weeks ago uh, when we when we were talking about his first flight into his first flight into space. But let's let's leave the let's leave the question aside as to whether it's uh, whether it's fascist or 
uh, I'll, I'll grant that it is, and, and, and not that that's a bad thing. Um, how would you how would you have liked to have seen it unfold? How how could it have unfolded better? Do you think? Um, and could we have been on the moon sooner? I mean, I guess without the without the Cold War impetus, right? Would we ever have had a big serious space program? I guess that's the real question. Well, well, that is a very very interesting question um, because everything that happened from basically 1947 on you know, was driven by the Cold War. But even there, there were there were alternate paths. I mean, there was an alternate path. People, you know, the Air Force was figuring out how to get into space. And they had an X-15 program that was trying to figure out how to do that. Right. And and that could have evolved farther. And some of that technology could have spun off into the private sector. And people could have been doing the same things they're doing now in terms of giving rides into space, you know, maybe in the 70s, based on on that technology had it continued to be evolved. The the real problem was up until 1958, there was this agency, it wasn't really even an agency, it was an advisory committee, the National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics, that was that had really nurtured and driven uh, the aviation industry. Right. And they did it by developing technology, by going out and talking. It, it saw industry, commercial industry as its customer, not just commercial industry, they also talk to the Air Force, obviously, and or before that the Army Air Corps or whatever. But but they saw their role as developing technology to support uh, both you know military and commercial uses. But in, in when NASA was formed that agency or that uh, advisory committee got sucked in, subsumed into this new operational government agency that had a charter to put people into space. And you know, three years later, in 1961, ascend a man to the moon and bring him back. And it it became an operational agency that was going to develop and operate its own vehicles, you know, to accomplish all the nation's goals in space. And from that point on, we, you know, we kind of we got way off the track because that was that is not America. That is not how we traditionally did things in this country. It was an anomaly because of the Cold War. And I don't know what the alternate path would have been, but I would like to think that had NACA continued, it might have became NACAA, you know, Aviation and Astronautics, and continued to serve that role as as the um, astronautical industry developed. Much like maybe the FAA, but for space. Well, no. That's a different thing. FAA is a regulatory agency. Right. NACA was a technology development organization. The closest thing to it right now is DARPA. Okay. Sort of a blue sky... Yeah, you know, let's well, let's 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 fund those high-risk technologies that nobody else is looking at. Nobody else, you know, private private, you know, companies are not going to spend their money to develop. But NASA has gotten completely, completely out of that business. They shut down NIAC, uh, the I can't remember what what that acronym is for, but it was a, a national institution for advanced concepts, something like that. They they have shut it down because they have pulled money out of everything else to put it into developing this new launch vehicle that's probably not never going to fly because it has so fundamentally flawed in its concept. 
but that's where they are. They have decided, you know, Mike Griffin has decided NASA is going to go back to becoming its own customer completely, you know, with a small exception. You know, he'll throw like a few percent, a couple percent of the money at, at uh, COTS, the Commercial Orbital Transportation System project, which is supposed to be private. But, but I mean, the vast majority of funds, it's just scrambling to try to pour everything it has to into rescuing this, disastrous architecture that they've taken on. This new vehicle, I mean, is it going to be powered by something very similar to the Saturn V? I mean, is it no, it's pretty much vehicle. This new vehicle is taking a shuttle shuttle SRB as a first stage, except it's not a shuttle SRB because they have to add an extra segment to it. So it's a five-segment SRB, which has never been flown. And and then, then they discover that, uh, well, gee, this thing, when it gets close to burnout is going to be like a big organ organ pipe, you know, in terms of resonant frequencies, and it's going to be vibrating a lot, and we have to figure out some way to mitigate that so it doesn't shake the upper stage and the crew apart. And and now they're talking about things like, uh, as, as a way to mitigate it, we have to put in a little little ring of rocket motors that fire backwards, you know, offsetting the thrust, firing up at, at a certain at the, the same frequency that it's going to. Uh, vibrate at it's kind of like a you know giant version of a Bose noise canceling headphone. I mean, this is what they're reduced to because they decided without any really good, as far as I can tell, uh, you know, preliminary analysis just to shift over to this for, from this concept and just ignore everything that everybody had told them before Mike and Crepton came in because this is what he wanted to do. He's this is the danger of bringing in a rocket scientist as the administrator of NASA, because he thought he was smarter than anybody else, and he, he knew what he wanted to do. Well, it's kind of, it's the old, uh, it's the old uh, saying about if... Uh, if Running NASA ain't or, rocket science, though. Yeah, I'm sorry. Everything looks like a nail. If, you, if you're a rocket scientist, <laughs> right, every problem looks like one you can solve with a bigger and better rocket, right? Well, that's, that, I mean, the thing is that, you know, the best, uh, I think most historians would tell you that the most effective NASA administrator that ever existed was uh, uh, Jim Webb, who was not the first, but like the second NASA administrator, who was the one who basically set up Apollo, and he was a lawyer. But the, the, <laughs> important, interesting. Okay. the important thing was that he had good connections to the White House, and he understood politically what had to happen and what couldn't happen, and he was very effective in making things happen. And he got us to the moon. Uh, but the point is because, that was because getting to the moon by the end of the decade was politically important. Since then, nothing NASA has ever done has been politically important. I just want to note that we had a comment in the chat room. He was a lawyer, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> that's, that's right. I agree. That's, so I think we, we, want, we want to stay pure on that. Uh, and, and we never hold that against you either, Stephen. So, oh, thank so. you. <laughs> well, just, I mean, in fact, let that be an inspiration to you. It just yeah, that's right. You. I mean, uh, Jim Webb, was he, he was one of the early administrators, and he was the best in terms of NASA accomplishing its goal. Yeah, I mean, but the point was that NASA had a goal. It was an, and it was politically important, and they had four percent of the federal budget. Right. And now they got like a little over half percent, with very little prospects for getting more because what they're doing is not politically important. 
So I guess the question is, could, could you know, for, for NASA to carry on in its, the direction it wants to go and, and be the kind of agency it wants to be, is could the uh, development of space become politically important again, such that we could fund the kinds of programs they've done before? Or, alternatively, um, you know, do we just look for a, a different model of getting there, one that's more like the... Uh, uh, you know, let's do the X Prize on steroids, right? Rather than right. Uh, Apollo on steroids. You right. Know, well, it's, that, a, uh, it's, it's it's clearly the latter. I mean, I don't see you know, short of uh, you know, unless unless Phoenix takes a picture of Marvin with the uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the thing that that causes the Earth to go up in an earth-shattering kaboom. <laughs> Space modulator. Uh, space modulator. Right? <laughs> yeah. and it was a, the aludium Q36. Or yeah, there you go. You I don't it. remember what the, exactly what it was. But you know, if Phoenix, if Phoenix sees Mar, Marvin, you know, with the aludium Q36, okay, then all bets are off the table. Then all of a sudden, it becomes important again. But right now, it is not important. And I don't see well, how you make it important. There's a there's an interesting paradox about uh, about finding life on Mars. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But first, I've got to say that this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Rand Simberg about fascism and Mars and lots of other interesting topics. If you'd like to join us, you can join us in our chat room, or we're going to keep the phone lines open for a few more minutes. You can call us at 347-215-8972. So here's the, here's the paradox about uh, finding life on Mars. If we found Marvin there, um, you're right. There would there would suddenly then be a huge influx of uh, funding and interest in programs, etc. But uh, that would then mean Mars is actually off limits to us in terms of being uh, an ultimate like destination for humanity. We well, that's, never that's, well, that's a different issue. I mean, no, if we found Marvin there with his Illudium Q36 space modulator, that that would that would you know, set off a whole lot of funding toward one part of the federal government. On the other hand, if we found some microbes up there, that would set off. Then, then now we're dealing with okay. Now we got to quarantine the place. Right, right. Okay. Well, say anything from from microbes up through ET, right? But not Mars. Well, no, so but I mean, right. but there's a different difference. Issue. I mean, in one case it's a defense issue, in the other case it's a uh, it's, it's a science issue. Sure. Okay. It's a um, an environment and, you know, protecting the planet Mars and, you know, whatever. So since it's probably somewhat more likely that if we find anything, it's going to be more like the microbes. Than <laughs> yes, I, it seems more likely. <laughs> yeah, it seems yeah. more likely. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I, guess, I guess the question is, what's, you know, when, when, when are we safe to start making plans to go to Mars, or is that even a, is that even a good plan? Is, is it a good idea for us to think in terms of, Let's establish a, a presence on Mars, or uh, should we be? You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with thinking about establishing a presence on Mars. What's wrong? What's what's wrong is saying, okay, we have to build this vehicle. You know, we have to establish a five and ten and fifteen year plan to do it. That's what's wrong, because we cannot predict what the course of either technology or space business is going to be over the next twenty years. And the, the fundamental problem of space and doing stuff in space uh, that has existed since the beginning of the program remains, and NASA has thrown up its hands and said, oh, we give up, we don't care, is that it costs too much to get there. Right. 
They are doing nothing, absolutely nothing, to reduce the cost of getting into space. All they're doing is figuring out, okay, we're not going to fly a space shuttle anymore, so how do we get people into space? And, and not only that, but how do we get people into space using a NASA launch vehicle right. and not, it, not it, buying it from the private sector? So if... Um, but once... I, I used to have a SIG on my, uh, on my USENET post that said, you know, it is not NASA's job to send a man to Mars. It is NASA's job to make it possible for the uh, Planetary Society or for the you know, National Geographic Society to send a man to Mars. Okay. All right. Yeah. And, again, that's functioning like in a DARPA-type capacity they, they, they would be. If, if, to, well, yeah, yeah sort of. Uh, not just DARPA. It's more like uh, the thing that, uh, you know, I pulled my... Uh, I don't have to spare, but I pulled my hair when Mike Griffin said that his architecture was the inter interstate highway system to space. I mean, what a joke. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. If, if, if the interstate highway system, if we'd built an interstate highway system such that you could, you could drive somebody, you could drive a car across, it, across the country and back twice a year with four people in it, yeah, I guess it would be the interstate highway system to space. But that's not the IHS I know. Right, and it, it, it doesn't the analogy break down? It's, it's kind of like if we had started building the interstate highway system back in the, I don't know, 18-teens, right, the 1820s or something right. like well, that. Well, which we, we did with canals. Okay, but I, but, but I mean in terms of like opening up the frontier, opening up the west, we didn't go in there and, and lay down four-lane highways. We, you know, we, we, we sent a few people out, and then, and then we laid down infrastructure, and then more people came, et cetera, right? That's the, well, right, and, and the point is we didn't, we didn't build... A, a national, uh, you know, a transcontinental transportation vehicle, you know, that could carry four people back and forth a couple times a year for a few billion dollars per trip. Well, the, the analogy is the reason it's there, there's a steep uh, curve, I guess, to getting to space. I mean, let's say it's 1800, and I'm and I'm sitting in Boston, and I'm sick of Boston, and I and I decide to go west. If if I wanted to, I could just start walking west, right? And eventually, I'd make California if I didn't get you know attacked by Indians or whatever. You know, I mean, yeah, at some point, I would I'd, I'd run reach, out of water. Yeah, yeah lots, exactly. lots of lots of obstacles there. Yeah, I'd have obstacles, but it it would be technically possible. In theory, I could I could make California, but right. um, you know, here I am sitting in 2008, and I really really want to go to the moon. Well, and you know, can't I'm, walk to orbit. Yeah, I just can't get there. Yeah. Uh, got to catch a ride with somebody. Uh, or, or, or but you're not going to catch it with NASA. Yeah, you're true. not going to catch it with NASA with their current plans. That's right. That's right. So we wrote a little bit about this uh, Jim McLean's idea to uh, to, to kickstart Martian uh, settlement of Mars with a one man one way mission to Mars. What do you think of that idea? Uh, well, it's intriguing. It's not going. No government's going to do it. Right. <laughs> I mean, what what more do you want me to say? I mean, yeah, I can imagine. Again, it gets back to my point: the National Geographic Society. Right. I mean, there. Uh, if 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 NASA were building the infrastructure and reducing the cost of getting to orbit, then yeah, somebody could do that. Some private organization could do, that, or even a, even an individual. You know, the guy who wanted he wanted to jump from the balloon. A, Couple of months ago, or a couple of months ago from Canada, 
you know, uh, he could do that instead. Yeah. People fact, who climbed to Everest that, could do that instead. That one of the ideas that was proposed right after um, right after Gagarin's flight, when we decided we were going to the moon, and uh, it was understood that there was a, a large technological uh, right. Uh, yeah, there were there were yeah, there technological were. things hurdles that would have to be leaped. That they talked about doing that. Yeah, that's like right. On a one way one man mission to the moon. That's right. Because that and, that was you know they were they were trying they were scrambling for ideas. They were because it was important to get to the moon, not because anybody gave a shit about the moon. Pardon my French, but uh, because it was important to beat the Russians again. You know, nothing that happened in the 60s in space had anything to do with space, other than it was the high ground. It was seen as the high ground. People were concerned that, uh, you know, the Russians would have have bombs orbiting over us, and they could drop them down on us at any time and whatever. And all this was like technological nonsense, but it was, a you know, Space was new. People didn't understand. People were were very worried. You know, uh, as right. you said, Johnson was said, "We're not going to go sleep by the light of a Russian moon or a communist moon." It, we, but it was not about. There was nothing about Apollo that was about getting humanity into space. Absolutely nothing. It was. I mean, and and that was the fundamental flaw. And that remains a fundamental flaw because we have never had that national conversation that said, "What? Why are we doing this space stuff? Why are we spending one percent, half percent, whatever we're spending of the national budget? You know, because it shrinks every year because all the all the non-discretionary stuff grows, and NASA is always discretionary. It's part of that. But why are we doing this? And we have never said." Nobody has ever forced lightly, you know, said, we have to settle space. We have to expand into space. We have to have people living off planet. Even in, right. even with uh, Bush's VSC, he did not say that. He did say, he sort of said it, he sort of hinted at it, but in a way that was deniable when he said, you know, humanity is going out into the cosmos, which, which to me was like the most, the only, I shouldn't say the only, but the most, you know, thrilling part of that speech, it was a new thing in space policy, in national policy, to say humanity is going out into the cosmos. Right. But but the implementation, the follow-through, everything has, has been a disaster after that, because uh, if we follow this plan, humanity is not going out of the cosmos. At best, uh, you know, Few, a few astronauts a year will go out to the moon, you know, a decade from now, if we're lucky, and then the program will die because it's going to be so ridiculously expensive. So what uh, what do you think can turn it around? What are uh, what are some of the more positive uh, possible developments going forward? Do you, well, do you, the, uh, the, the, the positive developments are people are putting their own money into this for their own reasons. I mean that's positive development. I mean that's the whole. It's kind of like healthcare. You know, the problem with healthcare is that the people, the people that are paying for it, are completely disconnected from the people you know who are providing the service. 
and, and you know, again, this is the same case with space. The people who are paying for it are completely disconnected from what's actually happening in space. But when it when the private when it starts happening privately, now all of a sudden people are saying, "I'm going to put my money into this company that's actually going to do this thing in space." It's not you don't have this big intermediary with Congress and K Street and the congressional delegation from you know northern Alabama and Houston and the Cape. You know, which completely obliterates any interest that anybody has at a grassroots level, you know, because that's really what it comes down to. What's happening is now that people are doing, want to do things in space with their own money. They're putting their own money down and it's actually happening. There are companies forming to satisfy their desires. Yeah. Um, I, it, it makes me wonder, you know, it, will the day come when, uh, you know, the private sector leapfrogs NASA, and then NASA says, well, you know, last one out, you know, make sure to turn out the light, because we might, you know, the, the private sector has uh, surpassed us. They made it to Mars first or whatever. Well, NASA will never say that. Yeah. I mean, Congress Congress will say that. Yeah, I guess, yeah, the the, the person holding the purse strings, which... Yeah, NASA's that's not going to say that. Yeah. Jerry Pornell called that the iron law. what they're doing, you know, until until their budgets get wiped out. <laughs> right. No, no no bureaucracy is going to uh, shut itself down. Somebody yeah, else has to do that. That does not happen. <laughs> right. So um, I'm just going to uh, have to wrap this up. I just looked at the clock and realized we're, we're very near our time. Uh, Stephen, you got your question in. Uh, Michael, anything from the chat room? Um, we, we, we just checked in with you guys briefly. Was there, was there any, were there any questions or comments from the chat room that we wanted to share before we have to say goodbye to our guest? Uh, I would say we got into a little tangent with no effective answer about if there's existential pressure on on us here on Earth, is that going to be enough to motivate uh, 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 space exploration and a renewed interest in getting to space? And we concluded that uh, it's unlikely. Oh, the old when worlds collide scenario, right? The, we, we build the space arc to escape from the... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think there there would be, if we really, if Apophis really was going to hit us in, in 15 years. Right. Or whenever. I, I mean, I don't know what the schedule this is, but, I mean, just hypothetically, whatever. You know, pick, pick whatever astronaut, uh, asteroid name you want. That would get people's attention, and then it might become important. But short of that, I don't see it. Yeah, it seems like uh, uh, that, that's almost too high of a price to pay, too, right? Uh, it's like, oh, okay, I know one thing to get us out into space is if the world ended, but uh, maybe we can. Uh, maybe well, we can well if the world is about to end, and if we actually put the resources in to become a space, and we say the only way to save to fix this is to actually develop these spacefaring capabilities. I mean, that would be a way. I that don't way. think that's. I don't think it's likely. Uh, I, th- I think the more likely path is that, you know, there's a lot of people on this planet that want to do stuff in space, and they're getting kind of tired. They're not going to wait for NASA anymore because they got a lot of money. You know, Jeff Bezos has a lot of money. Right. Elon Musk has a lot of money. Uh, you know, and it turns out that what they have is sufficient to... It's, it's a, yeah, we've got, we've got a crossover... You know, you can you can kind of draw a graph in your mind of uh, the technical capability and the money, and they are crossing over. 
right now, and that's why the money now is finally starting to flow into these private ventures that are actually going to reduce the cost of access to space, which has never been a high priority for the government because didn't didn't have to be cheap for the government to do it. If it was important, they would do it, even if it was expensive. And and you know, there was no motivation for them to actually reduce the costs. Right. So you you look to these uh, uh, you look to these kind of private pioneers uh, opening up opening up space in a in a new way. And I guess Google is kind of doing that too, right? With their uh, is it? Is yeah, it not really. I just think that's a marketing gimmick. Oh well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, Worked I'm not, on me. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not an enthusiast for the Google X Prize. I just don't see but, how but, it's but, going to do much of anything. But, but the point being that yeah, private private money finding its way uh, finding its way towards uh, private development and exploitation of space. Well, I think yes. we're going to have to leave it there because we're right at our time. Rand, we thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk with us this evening. Well, thanks for putting up with me. And we look forward to uh, following more of your comments on uh, multiple topics uh, over at uh, Transterrestrial Musings, and hope uh, hope to have you back on Fast Forward Radio again very soon. Okay. Well, look forward to that too. Thank you. Okay, Stephen, uh, what what do we got going on to send us home this evening? Well, um, we got the Alice Project's uh, song uh, is the third day. Um, we heard from, we heard from this band last uh, with the song "Regifting for the Holidays." Uh, I was about to say that that band's name is familiar. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So, so they gave us the "Regifting for the Holidays," and now this song is the third day. Third day. Okay. Uh, any any hints as to what that's about? No. Not really. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll it. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, we'll have uh, we'll have complete show notes as always uh, when we get when we get them up there. Uh, thanks to everyone in the chat room who participated. Thank you, Michael. And thanks to all who listened. We look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night. <laughs>